so my job was supposed to be a two-month job um, just during the campaign, but then they saw this need to have a full-time public affairs person stay on through the entitlement process and beyond that. So my two-month job is now 22 years later. (laughs) um, So I was very involved in the whole um, campaign and then the entitlement process and the development um, and planning for the ballpark and then ultimately the opening. That was San Francisco Giants Executive Vice President of Communications, Stacy Slaughter. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, we bring you musicians, poets, photographers, and other San Franciscans talking about living, working, and doing their thing here. It's a way to get to know your neighbors. Welcome to episode 44, part one. Stacy grew up going to both Giants and A's games with her family. As a young adult in the 1990s, she got a job in San Francisco Mayor Frank Jordan's office. There, she was heavily involved in the effort to keep the Giants in San Francisco. In this episode, Stacy takes us through her career, leading up to the team's eventual move to a new ballpark. Here's Stacy. So I grew up in Sacramento, and then I went to school at Berkeley. And growing up, I my father was a big baseball fan and I followed baseball a lot with him and we kind of followed both the A's and the Giants mm-hmm. in the time I was growing up the A's had won several World Series but the Giants were always near and dear to my family's heart my uncle lived in San Francisco so we would come visit for a Saturday and we would go buy you know nosebleed section seats in the upper deck and um and enjoy a game with the stick with in your parka yes yeah (laughs) we tried to stick with day games just because it was a little Mm -hmm. bit warmer but yeah oftentimes we would go at night and um you know and it was not a full house at all um and this was you know kind of in the 70s early 80s really before the team you know it was down a time during the when the team wasn't so great and attendance wasn't very strong yeah um did you still enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, it's just kind right. of fun. You're with your family. We used to actually, if you sold a certain number of magazine subscriptions in junior high school, you would win a game, you know, win a, a trip to a game. So we'd take a school bus over here and we would go to a Giants game on an after nice. weekday afternoon. And and so just kind of memories like that. Um and growing up in Sacramento, it's a huge baseball town, and a lot of kids played in my neighborhood, and I learned to keep score for the high school team and just kind of followed, you know, baseball because my friends were playing. Um, Do you mean scoreboard or? No, writing, like writing, writing in a scorebook. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, You really get to know the game You really do. Well I mean, you, you understand the rules. You understand yeah. um, just and, – and you don't really think about it. And then one time I went to a Giants game. It was before I came to work here and right out of college. And I was working for a company. And we brought some visitors from Russia to come do the game. And it's kind of inherent when you grow up around baseball, you kind of understand, you know, outs and only running to first base and, you know, if you get a single and and things like that. But trying to explain baseball to someone who had never followed the game at all from another country, really, it opened my eyes to how complicated of a game it it is. Um, And unlike I mean, unlike any other. Yeah, like game, basketball really. or football is pretty obvious what you're trying to do, <laughs> um, you know. And, and and without a clock. Without and, a clock, yeah, and yeah. Um, and in this case, uh, the the colleagues who were visiting from Russia, they ended up staying, and we had a big softball game and trying to explain that oh, if you hit a 
a ball, you should only run to first base because you could get out at second if you can. You know, it's yeah. it's really complicated to explain that. Um, and um, so that was kind of – and then um, after college, I um, – went to work for the mayor of San Francisco at the time in the early 90s and that's when the team was about to move to Tampa Florida yeah it had been sold um and so I worked very very closely with the mayor and um Larry Bear and Peter McGowan and Jack Bear on the effort to um purchase the team and, mm-hmm. and keep it here in San Francisco um and we were involved in a big community-wide campaign to get people to write to Faye Vincent to ask them to keep the Giants in San Francisco and, and that was in your role uh with the mayor's office. Yes, I was the okay. press secretary to the mayor, so um, I was involved in that effort. Mm-hmm. And then the ownership group came together and bought the team at the end of 92. Um, I remember sitting in the mayor's press office, and I got a call from a reporter to tell us that the National League had voted to reject the sale to Tampa and to wow. allow the local group to purchase the team. And I was able to walk into the mayor's office and tell him we did it (laughs) what was that uh, I mean was that an anxious time leading up to that or you know it really was I mean from a political perspective you know when you're the mayor of a city you never want your professional sports team to leave Um, and it had you know it was not long after the earthquake and so there was a ballot measure right before uh, or right after the earthquake had happened that got rejected and and I think the city and then there were some other failed ballot measures down in the South Bay and for the public for the public to pay for this exactly and so at that point you know um, then owner Bob Lurie for all the obvious reasons just felt like he couldn't get it done here Mm -hmm. Um, and so fortunately a group of local um civic-minded folks just like bob Lurie as came together and said okay well what if we kind of pool our resources together and see if we can get this done mm-hmm. um because bob was the sole owner right. um and it you know and it ultimately became the right thing to do but you know leading up to that it, people didn't think we could get a ballpark built they didn't think we could stabilize the franchise i mean there was a lot of pains that the organization went through mm-hmm. um after it purchased the team for the whole community, people were really focused on um, the team leaving. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere you went, it was, please don't let our Giants go. And, you know, and this is a, a team that was beloved. It was Willie Mays. It was Willie McCovey in the 60s and then in the 70s and 80s. And, and you had, you know, most recently it had gone to the World Series in mm-hmm. 1989. And, um, and maybe people didn't physically <laughs> go to Candlestick Park. <laughs> But they were following the team mm-hmm. on KMBR. They were watching it on television. You know, they mm-hmm. were definitely, this was a baseball town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, but you didn't really notice that until the team was about to leave. Right. So then they ended up winning the right to keep the team here. And um, I can't tell you how many people would write to Mayor Jordan and thank him for saving the, you know, whatever right. he did on anything else from the budget <laughs> to homelessness to whatever, they didn't care. Yeah. The fact that he had helped save the team for the city was a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Um, Cause it, it's a symbol, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. a source of civic pride. We were the first Dodger stadium had been privately built in the sixties, but that was with the land donated mm-hmm. to the city. Um, but once this ownership group took over and they started to really do, cause part of the, part of the agreement was, okay, we're going to let you buy the team, but you need to solve the ballpark issue. You need to figure out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And obviously public financing isn't going to be a potential source. So how are you going to get creative and do it? Um, so the or- ownership group, and this was before I joined the team, 
kind of took two years to really study the issue to figure out what's the best approach on that. At the same time, they said to the fans, okay, we know we're going to be in candlestick for a while, so let's fix the stick. What are things that we can do? They fired their concessionaire. They brought in a new concessionaire. They started this whole we're listening campaign really to kind of get the fan. They did a number of community outreach programs to really re-engage the team with the community mm-hmm. aside from constantly because there had been so much noise about oh, the ballpark is horrible you, you no one can go there well then that starts to resonate with fans they're like well you say it's horrible why would I want to go there to watch a game right. so you really have to kind of turn psychology and and try to really talk about what are all the great things and obviously they brought in Barry Bonds and they put a competitive team on the field the team won 103 games that year I mean there was a whole renaissance and then the strike hit I was gonna say yeah For a turbulent time really I mean, so they expansion were strike yeah teams the moving expansion it had happened the team was rolling in 1994 matt williams was on a tear um the team was you know right in the hunt and then the strike hit mm-hmm. and they canceled the world series and it took the giant and, and you know at the same time the giants ownership group is and staff are trying to figure out okay how do we build a ballpark um and then after the strike hit and they everyone came back to work you know, attendance just took a huge mm-hmm. hit. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the owners were literally writing checks every day. I mean, they wrote checks to the tune of 15 to $20 million a year to keep the team wow. going wow. at the time when they were trying to solve the ballpark situation. So right. there was an amazing, intense amount of investment from the ownership group. They were cash calls, and they would just write checks and just keep things going because they knew they had to maintain a competitive team at the same time they had to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. And so the ownership group said, okay, we'll continue to do this as long as you guys, the group, the the team has a path forward. And so that once you get to a new ballpark, we're breaking even or making a little bit of money. It's not about making a ton of money. It was more about, okay, let's stabilize this franchise. Let's break even. Let's make a little bit of money and try to really save the team and, and keep a, have a long-term view for the organization and for the community. I mean, there was one year, 96, that was the year I came. We almost lost 100 games. Yeah. Um, 97, we traded Matt Williams. Fans were beyond themselves. But yeah. that really started the trajectory back after the strike. Mm-hmm. And we won the division that year. My, still to this day, despite all the World Series, despite all the playoff games, the most exciting Giants game I've ever been to was in September of 19, um, 1997 when Brian Johnson hit the home run in extra innings to win and to beat the Dodgers and to clinch a tie in the in the division at that point. And then we went on to win, to win the division later that weekend. But it was just epic. 60,000 people in Candlestick. You know, it was one of those beautiful September days. It was probably, you know, 80 degrees, and unlike Candlestick normally. Right. And it was really one of the most edge-on-your-seat, exciting games I've ever witnessed. And I'm guessing you don't go to every no, no. game in the stands. You go to a lot, yeah, but not every. I go to a lot of games but not every game in the stands yeah um yeah it was really it was pretty epic well I mean it was just one of these moments where the I think we were in the top of the 12th or maybe top of the 11th and Rod Beck was on the mound to 
you know, to try to preserve the tie. And the Dodgers had bases loaded, nobody out. And we were able to turn a double play and then get out of that inning. And then Brian, I think it must have been the top of the 12th. And then Brian Johnson gets up and just hits this in the whole stadium. I mean, some people were talking about the seismic shift in Mexico when Mexico beat Germany a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. This was, you know, a seismic shift in San Francisco and really a seismic shift for the organization. Yeah. It was like, okay, finally this team is back after really suffering through Eight the strike years, years and, and everything else. Yeah. And, and, and that really, and Peter McGowan and Larry Bear and Brian Sabian, they all knew that it was important to keep this competitive team all the way through the opening of the ballpark and beyond. It's mm -hmm. not, a lot of teams decide, okay, we're going to just kind of have a low payroll, save money until we get to the new ballpark, then we'll start signing free agents. They knew that you wanted to create a fan following and follow these guys as you're moving into the ballpark. Mm -hmm. And because we were privately financing the ballpark, we knew that we had to have a sustainable model beyond just the first year a lot right. of teams who have public financing they drive up their season ticket base and they have this great new first year first two years the honeymoon period ends but we knew because we had a mortgage to pay on this ballpark that we had to sustain that excitement every single year not right. just the first couple of years of the, right. of the opening of the park and i i'm just gonna go on a limb and say you did that successfully we did <laughs> <laughs> period when this um, Giants executives were studying ballpark sites and trying to put together a plan that ultimately went on the ballot for San Francisco. I was still in the mayor's office. Okay. But the the way it worked is they looked at a bunch of different, they knew they want, they did look to, on the peninsula a little bit, but they knew they really wanted to be in San Francisco. And, and at the time, think about it, Camden Yards, Coors Field, some of these new, obviously Wrigley Field, Fenway, some of these newer and older urban ballparks were becoming all the rage mm -hmm. and so I think the ownership group felt very strongly that to be in San Francisco closer to downtown where there's public access um, public transportation access I should say and and they looked at a few different spots and ultimately landed on this site knowing it's a really tight fit because we're only on 13 acres and there's a lot that goes <laughs> into mm -hmm. building a public mm -hmm. facility but we knew if we could get special permission from baseball to make the right field wall a little bit shorter than you no normally would. Um, and so they were able to put together in conjunction with HOK, the architect at the time, a pretty great vision for the park. Um, and they unveiled that at the end of 1995 and launched a campaign, um, a ballot measure to get. They didn't necessarily need voter approval because it was um, – it wasn't publicly financed, but they felt that it was important to go to the ballot in order to gain momentum and political momentum because there was a still a whole environmental review and public entitlement process that had to be achieved following mm -hmm. the election. It's a goodwill so goodwill effort also, it, I would It really say. is. Yeah. It, it shows like, okay, this is what the public wants. And so they launched that campaign in early or the end of 95, and then I was brought on board in early 96 to serve as the communications director for that campaign. Oh, okay. Um, and so I was involved in the Yes I'm B campaign. Um, we won with 87% of the vote or something <laughs> like that. That's a yes. And, which is a yes, a <laughs> resounding yes. Right. Yeah. Um, real quickly, you said there were a couple of other sites considered in the city? Mm. Um, yeah, there were. Where were those? Uh, I want to say, I don't know off the top of my head. I think 7th and Townsend was one possibility, and I can't remember the other one okay. so kind of farther yeah. that way i think the this site i mean keep in mind down here in in 1995 
this was a bunch of old warehouses mm-hmm. where you see these beautiful high-rise apartment buildings. Mission Bay hadn't been started. They were still negotiating to figure out what Mission Bay was going to be. There was right. a lot of start and stops on that. So mm-hmm. UCSF had not committed to this right. area. Um where you see all these high rises, there was an RV lot, the mm-hmm. only RV campground in San mm-hmm. Francisco. Where the ballpark sits, it was a bunch of di- dilapidated mm-hmm. old port warehouses. There was a road that kind of went to nowhere in the middle of it, and and people didn't live down in this nope. area at all. Nope. Um, and so, but it's right next to the Caltrain station. It's not far. There was a Muni line. The Embarcadero Freeway had just come down, mm-hmm. so they were building the Embarcadero Roadway. Mm-hmm. There was a Muni line that was going to come directly to Fourth, 3rd, and King. Um, there was potential for ferry service. So people saw the vision of what this neighborhood could become mm-hmm. over the long haul, and ultimately it became that. But, yeah. you know, back in that time, people were like, you're going to build where? Right, <laughs> right. But it's all, you know, it's what they did in Denver. You you know, with Coors Field, it's very similar. Well, the thing is really kind of. interesting, and it just kind of dawned on me a couple of weeks ago, is so when the ballpark opened before UCSF and Mission Bay and the hospitals and everything opened, this we used to say that AT&T Park is the southern anchor of the San Francisco waterfront. Right. Okay, so the southernmost part of it. Now, with all the construction, with all the development, with the new Warriors Arena, with everything that goes all the way down to Bayview, Hunters Point, and that whole area, there's so much growth and development that now we're going to be in the middle of San Francisco's waterfront. Right. Um, so to be at kind of the beginning of that next, because there's really nowhere else in San Francisco to build, and to be a part of in that really dynamic neighborhood that's kind of popping up around us has been really interesting to watch and, and exciting to be a part of for sure check back thursday to hear part two from stacy slaughter spoiler alert it involves world series wins music for this podcast is by joe Bigale. photography courtesy the san francisco giants follow storied san francisco on facebook twitter and instagram We just opened our store, where you can buy shirts, hats, and koozies that were designed and screen printed in San Francisco. The store lives on our website, storiedsf.com. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send comments and suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.